0: hello and welcome to real nutrition talk my name is olivia russell and i am the owner of a nutrition education business named intuitive dieta
1: and my name is Regan alexander i have my masters in nutrition as well as my personal trainer certification through the national academy of sports medicine in this podcast we are going to dive
0: deep into health wellness and nutrition debunking diet myths as we go In our current age of information, it's nearly impossible to find useful nutrition advice, and it's really exhausting listening to all the contradictions that exist.
1: That's why we're here. Follow along as each week we sit down to discuss a different topic in order to determine if it is diet trash or treasure. We're so glad you're here. Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. As we're releasing this it's towards the end of january which happy 2024 hope it's starting well for everyone which is honestly crazy to think about but and uh, <laughs> i know it's I know. the first time i've heard someone say 2024 I'm like isn't that crazy i feel like 2020 happened and the year hasn't changed since then yeah nothing exists after 2020 <laughs> so it's 24 which is nuts but I'm wondering, Olivia, do you make, do you do New Year's resolutions or intentions? I used to. I used to follow the bandwagon and, mm-hmm. like,
0: do intentions, but they they don't work. <laughs> like, I just, I kind of, I did one year where, of course, this was very diet related, but I was like, yeah. this year, I'm gonna lose, you know, whatever, how many pounds, you know, the thing that everyone does. Yeah. And... I got a gym membership and then naturally never went to the gym. And mm-hmm. it almost, I feel like for me, a New Year's resolution has like the opposite effect on me. I don't do great with authority already. So me telling me to do something <laughs> still doesn't work. The internal battle that must cause. I just <laughs> yeah. So every year instead of New Year's resolution, I always just like, I like to go back and look at my year instead. Mm-hmm. And more just reflect. It's not really setting intentions or it's not really like being like, this year I'm going to, but mm-hmm. it's more just like looking back on the year that I had and actually just taking a moment to reflect on it because I feel like years go by so fast, especially the older we get. And so I always try and make a conscious effort, look at my year and just be grateful. It's almost like a second Thanksgiving for me. It's more just gratitude for the year that I just had. And then bringing, Mm -hmm. hoping to bring that into the next year and being like, let's see what this year brings. Cause also I'm not, not great at planning or like when I do make plans, they have to be short term. I can't be like in nine months because whenever I look back on my years, I'm like, yeah, I could have never guessed that that was how my year was going to go. I could have never planned for the year being like that. And so go with what it is and try and have like a good
1: mentality about it. Yeah. I I really like the second Thanksgiving idea. Like it's fun to look back on your year and see like everything that has happened. And that's the one aspect of technology that I appreciate is like being able to go back and like pictures or Snapchat or Instagram and be like, Oh my gosh, I forgot that happened, but that was such a good time. You know, definitely. I think so. I, I don't set, I don't like to call them resolutions. I like to call them intentions because once again, resolutions, it's a negative connotation for me. But I think I do it kind of like seasonally. And January just seems to be a time where I just like kind of set my like winter schedule routines I want to incorporate. And I like to check in with myself every couple of months to kind of see what I need to be better on or work on in the sense of, oh, I have had zero time for self care or I'm spending way too much time scrolling on my phone, like stuff like that. Yeah. So, two things I have set out for my, 2024 is that okay I really love reading and being in grad school really put a damper on my reading habits so maybe it's ambitious for some people not for me I made a list of 50 books I want to read in 2024 so that was fun for me to make the list hard because my to read list is like hundreds of books long but (laughs) I like I also like a good checklist so I'm really excited to just kind of work my way through my list. Fifteen of the books are like the Sarah J Maas books, but that's okay. (laughs) Yes, I desperately
0: need you to finish the series because I need more people to talk
1: about that Mm -hmm. stupid series with. It consumes my life. Yes, that's one of them. And then my second one is um, I am in a time in my life right now where I feel like everything is out of control. So I just want to be able to set aside time daily. Journaling really helps calm me down and decrease stress in my life. So I want to work on incorporating journaling more. So I bought a new journal, but yeah, I don't, I don't set like super hard things. I, I set things that I know will bring me joy and benefit me. Yeah. And they
0: seem like pretty flexible too. Like you're not hurt if you don't hit 50 books this year, but like,
1: it's also something that you're excited about. Mm
0: Mm-hmm which Mm -hmm. I
1: really like. So anyway, today's episode is going to be all about macronutrients, which tend to come up in New Year's resolutions a lot. Unfortunately, not in a good way. But my goal with this podcast is to provide you with a deeper appreciation for how each macronutrient can support your health and hopefully dissuade you from adopting any crash diets that cuts one out or demonizes one. So that's this episode
0: i'm so excited this is such a good topic for new years because you're totally right people they always start some sort of fad diet being mm-hmm. like yeah this year i'm gonna do i don't know why keto is always the thing that comes to mind but this year i'm gonna do keto or carnivore or paleo or whatever and they get two months into it and then all of a sudden they can't keep it up because they feel like crap and yeah yep. we're gonna find out
1: why because if you take <laughs> something out of your diet probably not good yes so as i'm sure everyone knows there are three macronutrients which are protein carbohydrates and fats and we tend to classify foods based on which macronutrient is present in the largest amount but i think it's important to highlight that all foods contain all the macronutrients just in different amounts so looking at a food i eat literally all the time tofu i think a lot of people are like oh tofu it's a protein But if you look at half a block of tofu, which is how much I typically cook for myself in a meal, there are 21 grams of protein, but there's also about 12 grams of fat and two grams of carbohydrates. So when you're looking at foods, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to only eat protein or I'm only going to eat carbs. Like they're in all the foods. Right. And Um, you're
0: not going to avoid any of them either. Like if if you want to avoid carbs entirely,
1: that's not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's important to know this because, A, it just highlights the necessity of including all three macronutrients in your diet. Foods contain them all for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it's it's nice to know the, the basic kind of macro breakdown of foods that you eat a lot, in my case, tofu, because it can really help you build balanced meals that are going to keep you full and satisfied. So now... Let's move into what each macronutrient does in our body. So I'm going to start with protein because I feel like it gets the most amount of love and it's the least controversial. So we're going to start with protein. So there are literally thousands of proteins that perform a bunch of different roles in our body and it comes down to proteins being made out of 20 unique different amino acids. And proteins get their function and role based on what amino acids make it up as well as how those amino acids fold and give the protein its unique shape. So when you discuss proteins, it can be a little overwhelming because they do a lot, but I've kind of broken it down into four main things I want to discuss. So first, they help with the growth and maintenance of our tissues. So our cells are constantly dying and splitting and growing so you have this constant need to be building new cells and building new tissues and that's protein's major role when you're not actively seeking to like you know gain muscle or anything a typical whole foods balanced diet you're going to get the enough the amount of protein you need So I think there's a lot of stress placed on people to be like, oh my gosh, make sure you're eating so much protein, focus on protein, 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 when if you're just eating a normal diet, you're going to meet your protein needs. And there are situations where you might need to work with someone to help focus on protein or yourself focus on protein. So think pregnancy breastfeeding, if you're recovering from surgery, or if you're an athlete, because these people are in states of increased growth and need and repair. So naturally, you're going to need some extra protein. And protein is made up of collagen is a big one right now. But there's collagen, there's also keratin and elastin. And these are proteins that give structure to things like our hair, skin, nails, ligaments, arteries, and lungs and i think elastin is a really fun one to learn about it doesn't get talked about a lot but it's it's what makes up things like our lungs and in women our uterus because it's hundreds of times more flexible than collagen so it's able to stretch and expand as you would need it to but also return to its original size so that's super fascinating to me
0: yes elastin's not talked about enough especially for uterine health yes like we don't talk about it enough but also just protein in general i think a lot of people think muscle only and the reality is protein is a building block for everything you need protein for every aspect of your body and we need different proteins as reagan said we have all these different amino acids and they're all in different parts of food and so it's important to remember that protein (laughs) doesn't just mean muscle. And if you eat an excess of protein, you're not going to get ripped muscly. Exactly. That's not how protein works.
1: Exactly. So yes, that function of protein, I think is the one that people are like, yeah, this is what proteins do. So now I want to move into some that maybe you don't think of off the top of your head. So enzymes, which are actually proteins and enzymes serve to catalyze all the different biochemical metabolic reactions that are happening constantly throughout the day in our bodies so something from blood clotting to digestion to muscle contraction enzymes are literally involved in every single process in our body so once again importance of proteins they have different functions there are also protein based hormones and these would be things like insulin glucagon and human growth hormone And so ensuring adequate variety and types of protein helps you to have successful hormone health because you're not gonna be able to make the proper amounts of these hormones you need if you're deficient in protein.
0: I do think we should talk about the types of protein for different foods, like digestibility-wise. Like if you're an American and you eat a diet with meat in it, you're likely getting all your protein that you need and you're completing the amount of like the different types of proteins you're needing because meat does. But if you're not, which is totally fine, you do have to be more like cognizant, right? Of like, yeah, am I getting enough lysine? Am I getting enough? I don't want to cry it, but
1: no. So what Olivia is talking about is that there's our complete proteins and incomplete proteins. And essentially complete proteins contain all 20 amino acids, and incomplete proteins are missing whatever amino acids are not in them. So animal proteins inherently are complete proteins most of the time. So people eating animal-based diets typically don't have to worry about being deficient in an amino acid unless they have some sort of condition. But plant-based foods, however, there's not a lot of specifically complete plant-based foods that are complete proteins. Quinoa is a complete protein. And there are a few others I just off the top of my head, but basically it does. You don't need to only eat complete proteins. It's the sum of your diet. So making sure you're eating a variety of protein sources. So I eat tempeh, beans, lentils, quinoa, tofu. Like making sure you're including a wide variety of your of proteins into your week of eating. You're gonna get all the amino acids you need. And if it's something you're really concerned about you can buy vegan protein powders that have been made to be complete protein. So I mean, if you want to have a protein shake every day, you're good. But yeah, it's I think that's one of the misconceptions of the vegan diet is that you're not going to get all the amino acids that you need, you will, you just can't just eat one food and it has all your amino acids. So Right. I think that's important because if
0: if maybe for New Year's you're deciding like I want to eat more plant based or I want to transition entirely to plant based vegan or vegetarian, it's important to be cognizant of that. Like if you're switching from an animal based diet that you also need to be aware of these different proteins, because a lot of times people who transition to a plant based diet or a plant only diet tend to miss out on some of these complete proteins. And Mm -hmm. if you're planning on also working out and you're planning on also moving a lot more this year, then you're going to want to have those. You want all of the pro, all the protein amino acids. Yes. (laughs) My brain broke for a second, but you want all of your amino acids because that's how you build everything.
1: Yes. And I think it's, Being responsible, if you are choosing to cut out animal proteins from your diet, you're going to have to learn how to cook, basically, because you need to have a variety of foods in your diet. So I think (laughs) going vegan has really taught me how to cook because I've been forced to try different things. So
0: yeah, trying to avoid being a carbitarian and making sure you are doing all the different things. Mm because. That's always my fear whenever anyone's yeah, like, Yeah, I'm going to try vegetarian and vegan. And I'm not against it at all. I'm like, Yes, please do. But also, please make sure you're feeding yourself what you need because I've known quite a few people who have transitioned to vegan or vegetarianism and they basically become carbitarians where they mostly consume carbs. And then all of a sudden they're tired and all of a sudden there's their, the pallor of their skin is like graying (laughs) and they're like, I'm tired all the time. I'm missing my period. Like all these other things. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you switched. Like it's okay to switch to vegan and vegetarianism, but you might not be able to stick to it if you don't, Make sure you're incorporating things,
1: exactly. and learning to cook will definitely help. <laughs> yeah, it goes it goes back to our last episode, which if you didn't listen to, it was intuitive eating. It's it's very much using the principle of gentle nutrition and knowing that a lot of vegan foods are inherently carb based. Like think of if you go out to eat an Italian restaurant and you're vegan, you're probably going to get pasta and marinara sauce. Great option, but there's like hardly any protein in there. So when I make pasta at home, I'm going to like crumble tempeh into the sauce to make a meat sauce or make vegan meatballs, stuff like that. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. All right. So another aspect of proteins, which I think is super interesting, is they play a huge role in our immune system because they help to form immunoglobulins and antibodies. And these are what are formed in opposition to pathogens and foreign invaders in our body. And by creating specific antibodies to a specific pathogen, we're able to accelerate our immune response in the future should we encounter that pathogen again and you won't get as sick. So I think this is also important to highlight, A, how protein can help boost your immune system. So going into these winter months when everyone's getting sick, making sure you're getting enough protein in your diet can help you to hopefully avoid getting sick too often. And it's also important And beneficial to let yourself be sick because your immune system needs to be sick and learn how to fight that pathogen so that in the future it can fight the pathogen even better it's unfortunate but that's part of how the immune system works
0: (laughs) yeah it's important to like be sick but also if you have a really strong immune system if you do get sick it tends to be less yes it's quicker yeah and also if you're eating a diet rich in protein you're probably going to heal faster. Mm-hmm. I have a good story that that confirms this. Yeah, <laughs> I had to get my tonsils removed, and I had to get them removed late in life. I was 25. Oh, wow. You're supposed to get them out when you're younger, but my parents were like, braces or tonsils? And they picked braces. So <laughs> I had to do tonsils, and everyone was like, they were scaring me. They were like, it takes months from, for you to recover from this. You... You're going to be, your throat's going to hurt for a really long time. It's gonna it's just going to take a long time to heal. And you're not going to be able to talk. You're not going to be able to eat, drink, whatever. And I was in the midst of grad school when I got my tonsils out. And so I knew, because we had just learned about it, protein. And mm-hmm. so I made sure I got protein shakes. I did bone broth. And those were like the two things I live yeah. <laughs> and V8. Yeah. I tried to cover everything, but... I knew protein was a big thing and I healed so fast. Like within two weeks, I was back to normal and everyone was like, how is that possible? Like tonsils usually take like a month to two months to recover. And I'm like, I swear to God, it's because I prepped all of my food previously to include high protein. So it could heal faster because you need your proteins for healing. Amazing,
1: yeah. And I think, I mean, look at the diet of like kids who have to get their tonsils taken out. What do we give them? Ice cream, like applesauce, like basically carbohydrates and sugar. So that's Mm -hmm. that's a really good point. Yeah, like if you're planning on getting surgery, make sure you got those protein shakes and bone broth. Bone broth saves lives. You guys, if you have the Ninja Creamy, you can straight up just do a protein shake and it's like protein ice cream. So I guess if you're having like your tonsils taken out, use your Ninja Creamy. This is the way.
0: (laughs) Shout out to Ninja. We love you. Sponsor us.
1: (laughs) Great. And then, so we don't have to, you know, drag this on. Proteins are also involved in maintaining pH and fluid balance. They help to transport and store nutrients, and they can even be used as a form of emergency energy, if you will, if carbohydrates and fat stores are depleted. Obviously, if you're reaching that point, you are very malnourished and sick, but they do have that role as well. All right, I'm going to move on to talk about fat next. So when we were little kids, we grew up in the fat-free craze. And of course, as with all things diet culture, we've now flipped the pendulum and fat is the best thing ever because keto. Yeah. Um, so I think this just shows how trendy that diet culture can be and how we can go from avoiding a macronutrient at all costs to making a whole diet around it. It just it's not sustainable. So let's talk about fats. They can be broken down into saturated and unsaturated fats saturated fats an easy way to kind of remember them is that they're typically solid at room temperature and are of animal origin. so think things like butter margarine cream that sort of thing and i think saturated fats i think tend to get a bad rap a lot of the time because it's like oh my gosh if you eat too much saturated fat you're gonna get heart disease and die but all things in moderation saturated fats are a really good concentrated source of energy and they contribute to the production of hormones and the structure of our cells. So obviously, don't form your whole entire diet around saturated fats, but don't totally cut them out either. That's my little saturated yeah. fat high horse. But people have we, a thing against saturated fats. I know, and we will talk about later. It's like fats aren't just one fat. It's right. kind of like the macronutrients. All fats have old fats just in different amounts so unsaturated fats then are typically sourced from plants and we can break the unsaturated farther down into monounsaturated and polyunsaturated this is why i wish we had like video options because flow charts are so helpful so monounsaturated fats are those that we find in avocados olives nuts and seeds and then polyunsaturated Those are what you hear called the omega threes and six fatty acids. And those are actually the highest in things like walnuts, salmon, flax seeds, other fatty fish, that sort of thing. And unsaturated fats are important because they help to regulate our cholesterol levels in our bodies. So the promotion of higher HDL cholesterol, lower LDL cholesterol, all good things. And like I said before, if we look at fats, for example, olive oil, one that we all probably use and consume a lot, it is about 70% or 73% monounsaturated fat, 14% saturated fat, and 11% polyunsaturated fat. So you're going to get, it's not just like, oh, olive oil is a monounsaturated fat. It has all three we just tend to classify them with what is present in the largest amount.
0: Right. Like we do with, like we do with everything. Exactly. Like Reagan said at the beginning, everything has protein, carbs, and fat, mm-hmm. but we always like to break it down into making it yes less than the sum of its parts. We
1: like <laughs> black and white as humans. Yeah, nothing in nutrition is black and white. So
0: literally nothing, unfortunately, (laughs) I wanted to touch on cholesterol a little bit because there's so much fear mongering around cholesterol Mm -hmm. and so much misunderstanding about how cholesterol is built in our body. So we've all heard this like heart healthy, less cholesterol, Mm -hmm. all those little things. But the reality is fat does not equal cholesterol. A lot of people think I eat butter, therefore that turns into cholesterol. And that is not how that works. Our body has to put fat through our liver before it ever becomes anything else. Unless we're like in desperate need. Usually our fat will go through our liver first and then our liver will dictate where it needs to go based off of the levels of what Reagan said, HDL, which is high (laughs) lip. High density lipoprotein. Don't need to know that, but HDL is the quote unquote good cholesterol that everyone's trying to push. And LDL is low density lipoprotein, which everyone is like, will kill. And to be fair, if you have a lot of LDL and it's an abnormal level for you, the reason it can be dangerous is not because of the fat buildup in your arteries, like everyone talks about, it's actually, it causes inflammation mm-hmm. within your body and then damages your arteries. And then as it's damaging your arteries, your arteries are trying to fix it. And therefore they shunt more fat there to help create a band-aid pretty much until it can heal itself. But if you get a bunch of those little band-aids all over then you have all these little fat deposits that shrink your artery to the point where then you're going to have a cardiac event. Exactly. So an HDL takes the excess fat and brings that back to the liver to either be reutilized again or to be removed through a gallbladder. Another thing is your HDL does not need to be higher than your LDL. In fact, you almost never want your HDL to be higher than your LDL because then you're having the opposite effect where you don't have enough fat being shunted to the rest of your body to be utilized. Mm -hmm. And so when people are talking about cholesterol, they're usually talking about LDL and they're usually trying to fear monger you into eating less fat, but that has no impact on it. The way you digest fat is genetic. It has a lot to do with the different sources you're getting fat. So, if you're using vegetable oil versus olive oil or avocado oil, your body's going to utilize it differently. And everyone's just a little bit different on how they digest it. So, I just wanted to put that yeah. out there because there's so much fear mongering around cholesterol. Fat does not equal cholesterol. How you utilize your cholesterol is very genetic and has a lot to do with a lot of other things, including your carb intake. So, right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's important to. It's important to say that because I think a lot of people think the best amount of cholesterol is zero when in fact our bodies need cholesterol and produce cholesterol for different functions. So, Especially
0: our sex hormones, which yeah. are really important for not just not just sex
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> our sex hormones are great for digestion they help they help with your brain function it helps with your neurological function it helps with your heart function you need these different hormones like testosterone and estrogen and progesterone all of those are are cholesterol based so you mm-hmm. need your cholesterol for all of that if you're not eating enough fat then you don't have enough cholesterol then you don't have enough hormones then you get issues
1: exactly exactly So moving into functions of fat, one that the most common one that people think of is it's insulation and protection of our organs and our joints, which is super important because our body relies on it for temperature regulation. We'd be breaking bones left and right if we didn't have enough fat. So That's a very important role, basic, but necessary. And secondly, it's a highly concentrated source of energy. And as I'm going to discuss in carbohydrates, carbohydrates are the preferred quick fuel source of the body, but fat can be used in times when the necessary amount of carbs just aren't readily available. Think of like, maybe you had to go a long time between your meals that day, or you're in a state of vig- like vigorous exercise. It's there for the body to draw on if it needs. Fat also helps to facilitate the transportation and absorption of certain vitamins. So our vitamins are either water-soluble or fat-soluble. And our fat-soluble vitamins are A, D, E, and K. So this means that Fat is necessary to properly absorb these vitamins and have them be utilized in our body. And so, this is why fat is important for things like hair, skin, and nail health, because those are things that are really impacted by this set of vitamins. And that's um, why
0: fat is important when you eat certain yes. vegetables. Like, that's why you cook vegetables with oil, because you won't, because vegetables have those fat soluble vitamins within them, mm-hmm. but you won't digest them properly if you don't have some fat that facilitates the digestion of those vegetables.
1: Yes. Very fabulous point. Fabulous point. So don't be afraid of cooking with oil guys. It it helps you get more out of your food and butter. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no hate on butter. <laughs> no. Okay. So fat is also an essential component of cell membranes. Cell membranes what is around our cell, gives it shape, protects it from pathogens and foreign invaders. It's a phospholipid bilayer. So lipid is another name for fats. Basically, it's forming that membrane of our cell. So honestly, without it, we wouldn't exist because, you know, you wouldn't have your cell. <laughs> Cells wouldn't
0: exist. Exactly.
1: exist. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it just shows the importance of including it in your diet because your body 100% needs fats to produce these phospholipids to make up our cell membranes. As we touched on before, fat also makes our food taste good because they provide a satiety factor. And going back to growing up in the low-fat foods craze, one thing that always I always think of from that time is, the, like, the YoPlay yogurts. Oh. And they had those, like, fat-free flavors. And they taste so good, guys, because if they take out fat, they are going to utilize either sugar or salt to make up the taste. So, yeah, it might be low-fat, but the amount of sugar in those things is ungodly. So... Uh, Always be wary of foods that are like, oh my gosh, the low fat option isn't always the healthiest option. Like, obviously I don't eat dairy because I'm vegan, but when I'm getting stuff for my husband, I, I buy full fat yogurt and everything to cook with because in my opinion, it's the better option. Yeah, it is because
0: sugar has such a like higher impact on inflammation in your body Mm -hmm. and fat helps decrease inflammation a lot yes. of times and if you don't have the right balance between the two you're gonna have higher inflammation i'm convinced the low fat craze is the reason we have such a high issue of heart disease and cardiovascular disease in the u.s 100 they convinced everyone that fat was evil and fat was bad and so then everything got replaced with sugar and sugar is what causes insulin issues. And with insulin issues, you have a higher chance of a cardiovascular event of some sort. Yep. And fat prevents those cardio events because it's protective against the insulin issues because insulin is a hormone and you know yep. fat for hormones. <laughs> yep. it's, a, it's a fat-based hormone. Yeah, I'm convinced that's why we have such an issue in the US with cardiovascular issues.
1: Well, yeah, and it's just... All of these things you're seeing it just shows the importance of having all three macronutrients in your diet because if you don't have them it's going to cause problems right so lastly and we have talked about it arguably i think the most important fact to drive home for women is that fats are essential for hormone health so a lot of our hormones are fat-based meaning that fat is essential for their production so for example estrogens androgens Progestins and corticosteroids are all fat-based hormones. Not consuming enough fat will undoubtedly lead to hormone imbalances and hormone problems. This is why going to my bodybuilding set, a lot of people like focus on like, ooh, what like body fat percentage can I get to? Women can't get well, they can, but healthily can't get as low body fat as men because we need higher body fat for our sex hormones to be produced and function. So that's why a lot of elite athletes or people who reach such low body fat percentages don't have menstrual cycles because they're just not producing the hormones they need, which we're going to do a lot of episodes on hormone health and what it can mean when you don't have the right amounts of these hormones, but it's a lot of problems, major problems. So if you're a woman, don't be afraid of fat. It's good for you. You need it. And we have a lot more hormone events happening in our body
0: than men do. So we're constantly fluctuating. Men have hormonal fluctuations as well. Don't get me wrong. But ours are happening more often and more consistently. Mm -hmm. And so we need a more consistent level of fat than men do. So I always hear women be like, oh, my husband can eat like whatever he wants, like all the fat in the world and like nothing happens to him. And it's because his body is utilizing the fat differently and it yes. stores differently in men too, because they're not having so many hormonal events happening in their body. Exactly. And so they don't, their body's not like, Oh, we need to hold on to this just in case their bodies right. are like, We'll use it when we need it.
1: Men have kind of the same hormonal ebbs and flows on a 24 hour cycle. So it's very predictable. It, I mean, barring health issues, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. But women have the interesting, we have our monthly cycle of hormones. And then we also have 24-hour cycles of hormones. So it we're a lot more complicated. Yes. <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Fat also
0: is needed to regulate our nervous system because mm-hmm. it makes up something called the myelin sheath which is the thing that covers our nerves. And if we're not getting enough fat in our body, then our bodies will start utilizing the fat from the myelin sheath for other mm-hmm. things to keep you going. If you don't have enough fat in your diet, like if you're really, really restricting fat, and you s- we're seeing this a lot more with older women these days, uh, women in their like 60s to above pretty mm-hmm. much right now because they grew up in the super low-fat craze. And they, to this day, still struggle with eating fat. We're starting to see they're having a lot more neurological issues. Like Alzheimer's is super duper big in the elderly patients, more so than we've seen previously in the past. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were not eating enough fat in their diet. And so their myelin sheath was not protecting their neurons. And so now they're having memory issues. They're having functional issues. And we're seeing a lot of that more now, as boomers and Gen X are getting older.
1: Exactly. And I another important point is these are situations in which the ketogenic diet can actually be very medically beneficial. I think of like you said, like people with dementia and Alzheimer's, but also kids who suffer with epilepsy, Mm -hmm. Because if you're eating a higher fat diet, I should say, can help your brain protect its neurons and function more so how they're supposed to. We're not just like fully against keto. We're just saying, yeah, (laughs) situations where it's actually really beneficial and why it was created in the first place. But right, keto was invented for people with epilepsy. Yes, for that exact reason. (laughs) Oh. All right. So moving on to the last (laughs) macronutrient, arguably the most controversial these days, which is carbohydrates. So carbohydrates can be split into simple carbs and complex carbs. So essentially this differentiation differentiation (laughs) speaks to how easily these carbs can be broken down into glucose, which is ultimately what carbs are all broken down to. And it's the sugar that is used for energy by all of our body cells. Complex carbohydrates then can be broken down further into starches and fiber. And I'm going to talk about fiber a little later on. So when I'm talking complex carbs, think starches right now because those are ultimately broken down into glucose as well. It's just a longer process. So how are carbs used by our bodies? First and foremost, and as I've said before, They serve the high and constant energy needs of our bodily processes. Glucose, that I mentioned, everything is broken down into this simple sugar glucose, is used in a process called cellular respiration, which produces ATP, which basically is just a very high energy molecule that's used to fuel all of our metabolic processes. That's how glucose is used to give you energy. If your body has enough accessible glucose to meet its current needs, excess glucose can be stored as glycogen and glycogen is stored in either the liver or the muscles. And it can be broken down to glucose molecules as it is needed. For example, between meals or during, you know, like a super long fitness session or something, that's probably when you might dip into your glycogen stores. Sleeping. Yes. Yeah. Overnight. So if someone has had enough glucose for their energy needs, and their glycogen stores are full. This is when carbohydrates can be converted to triglycerides and stored as fat. I like talking about how glucose can be stored because it really shows how all the macronutrients can be converted. How we need to use them. <laughs> People are like terrified of carbs because we're
0: they're afraid that carbs are going to turn into fat, or we have this like fear mongering about insulin and. Yes. I'm assuming you're going to talk a little bit more about insulin, but the reality is our bodies are really, really good at utilizing this because glucose is our energy source. So whereas protein is the building blocks to everything and fat is the regulator to everything, carbs give energy for everything. And so our bodies are really, really good at utilizing this molecule and it's really good at storing it. Mm -hmm. and the storage is what people get concerned about because it is true if you eat mainly carbs your body is going to turn that into fat cells because it wants to store it as much as possible because it needs it always yeah we're never not gonna need glucose because that's what we need especially our brains our brains exclusively use glucose yeah so it's gonna store it our bodies like to hoard glucose when it Mm -hmm. has it especially if you have a history of dieting and restricting our bodies uh, have a fail safe for starvation and that fail safe is whenever it gets carbs it hoards it it's going to keep it because that's the only thing that's keeping you alive is your glucose and so especially people who are chronic dieters and weight cycle They'll notice like a certain diet will stop working, they'll stop losing weight. And it's because our bodies have this fail-safe of, oh shit, we're starving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Therefore, whatever we get, if there's carbs, if there's glucose, if there's sugar in the thing that we're getting, we're keeping that. We're not getting rid of it. Whereas, like if you're eating consistently and you're staying metabolically active, whether that's movement or whether that's working out, then your body is like also gets used to that. It learns. And so it's like, okay we have some extra of this. We can either shunt it to these muscles that we know we're using a lot of, or we can find ways to remove it from our digestion. Like maybe we just don't need as much of it. So it'll get rid of it, but it won't do that. If you consistently put yourself into starvation.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's because our bodies are so smart. And if we spend so much time in diet culture, you need to reestablish that trust With your body, your body needs to trust that you're going to feed it before it's going to be willing to store things, quote unquote, how you want it to.
0: Right. That's why a lot of people who have anorexia, they call it the refeeding stage. Mm -hmm. And it's the most scary for people with anorexia because your body is used to starving. And so when you start refeeding yourself and you actually eat consistently, you're going to gain weight. Yep. And that's like the most terrifying part about healing from anorexia and something we of course can talk about but yes. if you've trained your body to survive starvation
1: <laughs> yes
0: it's going to survive starvation but if you get it used to you know 3 to 5 meals throughout the day whatever is comfortable for you mm-hmm. and you get used to, it gets used to the fact that you move every day and you're utilizing these and you're metabolizing these things then it'll relearn a different way but it takes time yep it...
1: Consistency.
0: Yeah. And it does... You have to basically teach your body to trust you again. Mm -hmm. If you're not feeding it, it's like, you're going to starve me again. Yeah. (laughs) I don't trust you. I got to save everything I can because you're starving me again.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. So then, like I said, there's also a section of complex carbohydrates that are fiber. And fiber is interesting because it's not... Broken down into glucose. So we have soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. Soluble fiber, as the name suggests, is able to break down and it breaks down into kind of this gel like substance that has a variety of functions. One of the functions that I think is important to touch on is that it is this gel like substance that is responsible for feeding gut bacteria. And so you really can't be in a state of good functioning health if you have an unhealthy gut so this is one of the reasons why getting the amount of suggested fiber per day is super important because that is what is helping your gut microbiome to flourish and then we have insoluble fiber which doesn't break down and its main role is to add bulk to the waste, leaving our body, preventing constipation, super important. Those are kind of the basic rules of these two fibers. But as Olivia mentioned before, fiber is also beneficial for cholesterol and blood sugar levels. So as the soluble fiber is moving through our small intestine <laughs> during digestion, it has the unique ability to bind to bile acids and thus it will be eliminated, the bile acids will be eliminated with the soluble fiber. And because the soluble fiber is binding to these bile acids, rather than the bile acids being reabsorbed into in the intestines, the body is forced to create new bile acids for its various uses of bile acids. But the process of creating these bile acids involves using cholesterol. So this is one of the functions of cholesterol. But by having fiber, eliminating those bile acids, then we're forcing our body to use cholesterol to make bile acids. Thus, we're going to maintain an appropriate level of cholesterol in our body because we're using it.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of our professors explained it in like a insoluble fiber is basically like a magnet for fat in your digestive system. And so Mm -hmm. if you also eat a really high fat diet, like a burger with bacon on it and yeah you know that's that's high fat there's a lot of fat in there and that's okay yeah. but if you eat that with like say a side salad which is full of those insoluble fibers it's also going to hold the fat in your digestive tract mm-hmm. and help you remove it from your body right more or less I, I feel like that's like the very simplified version right. of it. it'll, it'll just help you digest it your food better basically right And then when you eat a high-fat diet, your body also releases those bile acids from your gallbladder, which contain the fat from your body. And if you have high fiber, then those bile acids will also stay in your digestive tract rather than digesting all of that fat from the high-fat meal and and absorbing it. It'll hold some of it in your digestive tract, so you're not absorbing quite all of the fat. Exactly.
1: And then also, talking about blood sugar, fiber is unique in the fact that it's not going to spike your blood sugar like eating a meal of simple carbohydrates would do so fiber serves to slow down the digestion of carbohydrates which is going to lower that overall blood sugar spike following their consumption so when we eat fiber with our meals The reduction of this blood sugar spike is going to promote just stable levels of energy between meals. So you're going to avoid getting that crash maybe like a couple hours after you eat because your blood sugar spiked, you felt great, but then all of a sudden it comes crashing down. Fiber is going to help you be more stable because it's just slowing down the digestion. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The blood sugar spike is what causes over time the consistent spike of blood sugar is what causes the damage to arteries, which eventually leads to a cardiac event like a heart attack Mm -hmm. or, you know, a stroke. And so trying to prevent consistent huge spikes of insulin is beneficial because it's decreasing inflammation, which causes damage to your cardiovascular system. So that fiber is fantastic for just keeping the blood sugar spike from being crazy because you're always going to get a spike after a meal. There's no Mm -hmm. preventing a a glucose spike because you're inputting energy. And so your body is spreading the energy out, which means you're going to get a spike, but it's the difference between having a a like normal spike from like saying having a burger with salad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you eat those two things together, then that spike is going to be a lot smaller than if you just ate that burger with fries eat the burger with the fries, that spike's going to be higher. And again, it's not the thing. It's if it happens occasionally, it's not that big of a deal. Our body is very used to dealing with that. It's what happens the
1: most common, the most amount of times.
0: Right. Exactly. So it's just the fun thing about nutrition (laughs) is you kind of just learn all these little different balances. And if you get super into it, like Reagan and I do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you kind of get to experiment with combining different foods and just seeing like actively knowing how they impact your body. Yeah. So I keep saying the burger and salad. I don't know why that's the thing. Or like (laughs) eating a handful of almonds right Mm -hmm. before you have maybe a giant slice of cake. Yeah, can also help prevent that huge glucose spike. And again, you don't have to do it every time you eat a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. But like, if you have a piece of cake in the fridge and you're eating a piece of cake every single day, yeah, yeah, throw some almonds in there, throw some fiber, eat a carrot after you have the cake, like something to slow it down. Exactly, is beneficial.
1: Yeah, and maybe you're listening to this and you're gonna try to eat more fiber, which is always important. I think maybe other countries don't have this problem, but the have a heavy reliance of processed foods in the American diet means that a lot of people actually aren't getting the amount of fiber they need. So maybe this is something you want to work on. I just want to let you know that if you're increasing your fiber, you're probably going to feel a little bloated for a couple of days because your body is not used to having this excess bulk and stuff in your diet, but it does get better. It's not a permanent thing. And if you are experiencing really excessive bloating, dial it back a little bit increase it slowly
0: start slow i once told i was having a conversation with someone one time and i was like oh like you might want to increase fiber in your diet and she goes and buys a whole pack of fiber one bars (laughs) and she's like i ate like five fiber one bars that didn't help and i was like well first of all (laughs) yeah i didn't tell you to do that (laughs) yes so starting slow I don't know, when you eat your nachos, maybe make sure to add some fiber with it. Like maybe you have some carrots and celery next to it. Mm -hmm. That's why with a fun fact, (laughs) when you get buffalo, they always give you carrots and celery and it's because the carrots and celery... One, help decrease the spice in your digestive system because it holds on to it, but it also helps you just digest the the mm-hmm. fat and protein better because it's just slowing your digestion down. Exactly. So next time you get a buffalo chicken, make sure you eat those carrots and celery next to it. It's good yes. for you.
1: <laughs> all right. Basically, to sum it all up, why is it important to include all the macronutrients in your meals and snacks and overall diet besides The plethora of reasons we just went over each plays an essential role in ensuring that we have a satisfying meal so protein is going to take the longest to digest so it helps to keep us satisfied between meals as we said a ton of times fat makes our food taste good so when we include that in our meals we can feel satisfied enough to stop eating when we're actually full And lastly, carbohydrates are going to provide us with enough energy to carry out our activities of daily living so you're not gonna feel sluggish and lethargic. That's why it's important to include all the macronutrients in your diet and to not cut one out.
0: Yeah, balance is everything too. That's why. Like any diet that's black and white and is any diet that says you have to take sugar out of your diet, no? That's that's dangerous. Like you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to take sugar out of your diet, what is sugar? Sugar is the thing you use for energy. You do need it in your diet. Do we need it at the excess that maybe Americans eat it? Maybe not. But also everyone digests it differently. So you can't just say for a whole group of people, remove this thing and you will get healthier. Some people might not. Some people might really struggle with that. So this this New Year season, if you are trying something new, you want to try you're, you're increasing your health, which of course Reagan and I are supportive of. Yes. And just be wary. Knowledge is key. If the reason we did this specific podcast is because the more, you know, the better choices you can make. Mm-hmm. At least that's the opinion I, I have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The more, you know, the better choices you can make. So if you're trying out something like keto, maybe don't go all the way keto. Maybe mm-hmm try increasing your fat and maybe slightly decreasing your carbs and see how you you have good protein and see how you feel
1: yeah people feel better on different breakdowns of macronutrients like i inherently like to eat a little bit higher carbohydrates Mm -hmm. but it's probably just because i have so much movement and i require more energy so some people genuinely feel better eating more fat than other people so once again go listen to our intuitive eating podcast yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. it's more just like playing with the ratios like what feels good
1: in your body mm-hmm. <laughs> and trusting your body more than you trust diet culture telling you yeah. what you should eat Reagan and I are never going to come out with a diet program promise you
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if we do <laughs> Someone's controlling us. Yeah, rest. we're obviously not doing it for ourselves. Yeah. If we're
0: promoting anything, it's intuitive eating. Oh, <laughs> all right. Oh, well, thank you, Regan. Thank you, you Reagan. So much for listening. Thank you, Regan. That was amazing. You got, you got it all. You covered it all.
1: Thank you.
0: All <laughs> right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we can't wait to keep doing it. Let us yeah. know if you liked it. <laughs> Bye, guys. Talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Hey guys, it's Olivia here. I'm super duper excited to announce that it is launch week for Intuitive Dieted Academy. This 12-week program is going to go over everything from intuitive eating to stress management techniques, cooking basics, intuitive movement, all the things you're ever going to need to know about nutrition. It's covering pretty much everything. It is only open from January 22nd to the 28th so make sure you get in there. I can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Nutrition Talk with Reagan and I. If you love this episode we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, tagged us in a story, or just left a comment or question on what you enjoyed and what you want more of. You can also follow us on instagram with the links below in the show notes thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next time
1: hello and welcome to real nutrition talk
0: my name is olivia russell and i am the owner of a nutrition education business named intuitive dieta
1: and my name is reagan alexander I have my master's in nutrition, as well as my personal trainer certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. In this podcast, we are going to
0: dive deep into health, wellness, and nutrition, debunking diet myths as we go. In our current age of information, it's nearly impossible to find useful nutrition advice, and it's really exhausting listening to all the contradictions that exist.
1: That's why we're here. Follow along as each week we sit down to discuss a different topic in order to determine if it is diet trash or treasure. We're so glad you're here.